0: to the Aftershock. I'm Phil Leva, joined tonight by Jamin Moore and Alex Morgan. Gentlemen, we're following a 1-0 loss to Sporting Kansas City. Peter Vermees' team at the bottom of the Western Conference. Bottom three in goals scored coming into the match. And only two teams Your that give more starting. goals Sporting Please Kansas log City. in. That would be the San Jose Earthquakes and DC United. So now the Quakes are 1, 9, and 5 on the road this season. Alex Morgan, I'm going to kick it over to you first. What are your thoughts following the match?
1: Phil, I am utterly incensed by the lack of urgency and intensity in this game. The Quakes had a massive opportunity in this big game to go from 13th to 12th in the Western Conference standings. And I really think they didn't appreciate the the occasion tonight. Um, In all seriousness... Uh, I think uh, it's 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 easy to take this game too seriously. Um, and when you accept that the Earthquakes are not making the playoffs this season and you accept that really the result doesn't matter anymore, I think it's a lot more fun to watch uh, the San Jose Earthquakes play. And I was able to appreciate uh, this game a little more. I thought we saw some positive performances from some of the younger guys like Oscar Agron. I liked Cade Cowell coming off the bench as well, as well as uh, Nico Shakiris. Uh, And even though uh, the Quakes lost, um, I think that uh, my mindset has shifted and I'm looking more more towards uh, some of the positive performances in in evaluating some players like Jackson Ewell, whose place in the the roster next season uh, is still up in the air. So I I think we're able to learn a lot from this game, uh, you know, even though uh, the result doesn't really matter.
0: Interesting that you called out Oscar Agron specifically because I thought tonight he was a little uncharacteristically sloppy on the ball, although he did have some nice recovery play and filled in pretty nicely for Nathan overall. Uh, Jamin, what are your thoughts following the match?
2: Well, oh, that would assume that Nathan wouldn't have been sloppy on the ball. So I didn't feel like the Quakes lost a lot, to be quite honest, in the switch from from Nathan to Agron. Nathan's good for a couple of mistakes in, in most games, and I don't think that Agron had more than a couple um, I was a little bit more disappointed. I think in JT Marsikowski, he had a couple spills that, you know, were pretty dangerous. Um, one of the things that the Quicks kept doing was going back to him because they were having trouble playing out of the back. And usually JT is an asset and he popped the ball up in the air, like three or four times in this game where the ball didn't barely go 20 yards. Um, and it created trouble every single time. So I was a little bit disappointed in that. I agree with Alex. I think the young guys overall, you know, did good for themselves. I, the luck factor of this one, there's a bit of a bit of chat as to, did the Quakes get unlucky? And Alex, you tweeted the same thing. My opinion is actually Sporting Kansas City got lucky that the Quakes didn't execute better. I think that it was on the Quakes that they didn't execute better and that if they had Executed better. I think the Quakes walk away with at least a point in this one. And there were many situations where the Quakes kind of bailed out Sporting Kansas City. There were opportunities in the box. There were corner kicks that just bounced just the right way for Sporting Kansas City. You know, that's that's that luck that they haven't had all season. They got that tonight um, because largely because the Quakes didn't execute all that well. In the situations that they were given, two great opportunities in front of goal in the first half. Jeremy Abobasey weak footed shot goes wide. Could have gone over to his left, decides to stay right. Um, Christian Espinoza instead of going back across the keeper uh, across the goal decides to go more near post, which was the much easier save for Pulskamp. He's already leaning that way. Espinoza's already going that way, and he kind of set up Pulse camp with an easy save there from another weak footed shot. So I just kind of felt like it was, you know, the, uh, the quakes didn't execute and that sporting Kansas city got pretty lucky that they
0: didn't um, overall. Right. And I'm looking now at the numbers here, Jamin, this is kind of your, your area of expertise. It's looking like the quakes had an expected goal uh, of 0.56 for this match. And I'm sure that was affected by the opportunity that Espinosa had with the uh, really close range shot, although it was on a on a mistake by Graham Zusi. Also, the Quakes had 11 total shots, and according to the data from FOTMA, they only had one big chance, which. I'm not really sure how that's measured. Perhaps you can provide a bit of insight onto there. Uh, One thing that was a bit surprising, though, is I noticed that the Quakes allowed Sporting to play with the ball a little more than they do with their opponents overall. If you look at the uh, possession statistics, the Quakes were a little more even than they normally are. I think in the Matias era, and then even under Alex Covello, we've seen them possess a lot more of the ball. Um, I'm going to go over to you first, Alex, and your thoughts about what went wrong with the attack tonight. Why weren't they able to be more clinical in front of goal, or why weren't many chances created? in your opinion
1: i mean i think they used up all their luck and all their clinicality last weekend against lafc it it wasn't for the lack of chances uh tonight that the earthquakes weren't able to put the ball in the back of the net they had three or four solid chances i think the quakes easily could have come away with a draw or even victory tonight Uh, something that we were talking a lot about on the the patron slack uh, was the fact that they were playing a little more defensively and they were letting uh, Sporting Kansas City control the ball more, especially in that first half before uh, Sporting Kansas City scored. And I like that. I think the Quakes can play on the counterattack even more, uh, especially when they're playing uh, with two more attacking-oriented midfielders like Jan Gregoosh and Jackson Ewell. That kind of forces them to naturally sit a little bit deeper because they don't have a stopper in front of the back line just to clean things up. Uh, and I liked the way they were playing in transition uh, on uh, the counter-attack, you saw that uh, beautiful ball from Benji Kanovich in for Jeremy Obobese. That really could have been uh, the opener tonight. Uh, and I think that the Quakes play well that way and I'd like to see them play more on the counter-attack uh, under Luigi Gonzalez next season going forward. I think they're with the pace they have out wide and up top, I think they're really well uh, constructed for that kind of game. Uh, and I liked to see that tonight. Obviously, once you go down, it gets more difficult to play that way because you have to push forward and you have to take a little more initiative uh, in order to, to chase the game. Uh, but I I, I I thought that was a positive takeaway from tonight, Phil.
0: Yeah. And I think it's pretty obvious looking at the roster that that is certainly a strength that the Quakes have, right? There's a lot of speed. There's a lot of power, but it's a matter of utilizing those tools in a way that's effective in the attack. And one way is the counterattack. Jamin, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that as well as a follow up to some more of what you thought was uh, the issue here with the attack.
2: Yeah, I'm actually surprised that the possession stats came out 50 50 because it really felt like a Peter Vermees kind of game, a home game uh, in the Blue Hell, where you know he's going to typically play a possession style, and they're going to hold they're going to hold the ball and take their chances, and it felt like the Quakes were going to let them do that to some level. They were going to always have six or seven guys back. You know, even when um, everything, you know, looked like it was going Sporting Kansas City's way and they were going to potentially be able to add on a second goal uh, in the beginning of the second half. You know, it it wasn't There was never a situation where the Quakes were getting caught like, you know, one V one, you know, in uh, in those types of situations. They had players, you know, in the vicinity. I thought they anticipated Sporting's ability to get to the end line and play the cutbacks. A lot of people might go, hey, it's Sporting Kansas City, bottom of the West. It should be a team that we can go in and be able to, to, uh, to play well against. And while it's true that Pulse Camp hadn't had a clean sheet, you know, so far this season, um, you know, I felt that the type of game that they played forced the Quakes to kind of break them down. And it uh, other than the transition opportunities or when the Quakes had the opportunity from a defensive turnover deep in the zone. Uh, Such as they did in a couple situations. We didn't even talk about Jan Gregoosh having all kinds of like patch in front of him. He could have almost dribbled the ball into the goal and decided to shoot from outside the box in that situation. I know Colin would say that he's not athletic enough to be able to uh, to get that far without being closed down, but he could have gotten, you know, probably another uh, four or five yards forward. Uh, And had momentum going forward before he shot there. So look, there was, you know, situations again where I felt like the Quakes just didn't execute as well as they could have. And that was uh, the primary issue there. But Sporting Kansas City did a good job with the possession that they had keeping the Quakes on the back foot for a good bit of the game. Um, There's a lot of pressure. They took they took a lot of shots tonight. It looks like we're going to head over. They had 18
3: shots tonight just to throw out that quick number. All right. Hello, everyone. Thank you for being with us tonight. We are joined by interim head coach Alex Covello. If you have a question, please let me know by sending me a text. Let's go ahead and begin with Jamin Moore.
2: Unmuted. Hi, Coach. Thanks for joining us tonight. You know, obviously not the result that you were uh, looking for tonight. Uh, You had some young players that got some playing time and seemed to do pretty well with that, that playing time that they got. You had a couple opportunities uh, in the first half in front of goal and uh, couldn't take advantage of those. What's your assessment of the game overall, particularly uh, how the uh, the young players took advantage of their opportunities? Thank you.
4: Thank you, James. Well, I think that the my conclusions in relation with the game are very clear. I think that the the team tried to to win the game. We had the Christian Spinos opportunity, Jeremy opportunity. I think Seppis was another one. Then we have. That one from Kate, you know that Javo couldn't arrive. Um, it was an interesting game, and I think that we did uh, all that we can, that we could do to win the game. I cannot regret anything to to the players because they tried, and, and right now we need to we need to eat it and and, and Monday start again. And in relation with the young players. Um, obviously, Kate uh, had a very good game the last time, so that's why uh, he was coming in. And I think he did a, a good job. He had an almost as to Jabo. And with Nico, um, I don't care if he's 16 or 17 years old or 35. I think we needed attack. Uh, and we thought that we needed two, two players in, in front of Jackson uh, in order to, to be more offensive. It's not in relation with the age. I think that uh, Nico is a, a good attacking player that could help us.
2: Very quickly, as a follow-up, uh, Oscar Agrin got the start tonight because uh, Nathan was on a yellow. How did you feel he did on defense?
4: Well, I think that it's not easy to step up after, uh, you know, he he has been playing. He had to play against you Kansas. He played against Miami. And then you see he maybe was suffering a little bit of heat and and, and also the 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 lack of minutes during during the season, but I think that he had a a decent game.
3: Thank you, Alex. Let's go to Alex Morgan.
1: Hi, Alex. Thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, It's good to speak to you, Uh, especially in the first half. uh, You guys uh, were maybe playing a little bit more defensively and had a couple good opportunities in transition on the break. You can think back to the ball that Benji Kukanovic played to Jeremy uh, and he hit it just wide, Uh, you know, Given that the team succeeded uh, in, in creating those opportunities, do you think that you guys can look to play more on the counter attack and, and maybe make it more of an identity to be sitting deeper and, and using the pace uh, on the wings and up top that you guys have to become a more counter attacking team?
4: Well, I think that we try. We knew that uh, we knew that uh, we were going to come here with the heat in Kansas. Um, Kansas is not the same team that uh, we face at home, uh, and we try to. To start our line of confrontation a little bit lower in medium block. I think that uh, even like that they found some spaces to to overload a little bit their left side, our right side. Because sometimes they they had a three v one there against Tommy. That's why in the also in the half time we try to to make sure that the team was compact. But um, the idea was that was to be more solid in the middle and, and wait for uh, our opportunities. And we both tried to attack. Yeah. And we need to understand when to apply pressure high or when we need to put the line of confrontation a little bit lower, Yes. So it depends on the game plan, Alex.
3: Thank you, Alex. We'll take two more questions, starting with Marco Ukalovic. Hey, Alex. Uh, Thanks for taking time to talk to us. Obviously, it's a disappointing result for you guys. But, you know, one that I think Brian's right spot that I noticed was uh, the play of Kate Kell. In fact, even going back to his last match against LAFC, he's played two really good matches in a row coming off the bench. Do you think that way he's been playing for you guys, giving you a spark of energy and creating some chances, that maybe he could go back into the starting lineup in these last seven
4: games? Well, we we will evaluate during the week. Obviously, Kate um, um, has stepped up, you know, and, and, and he's trying. Um, He's always trying to to be better, and, and let's see let's see how it it uh, goes the, the week.
3: Thank you. One final question from Alex Morgan.
1: Hi, Alex. Thanks for taking another question. Uh, I, I'm curious what you thought of Jackson Yule uh, and Jan Gregoosh, uh together in the midfield today, and and the partnership uh, that they have, uh, given the different options that you have. Uh, in the midfield, um, you know what you thought of their performances, particularly because Jan Guish was a guy who hadn't been starting; he hadn't been in the lineup regularly uh, for large parts of this season. You know what you're seeing from him now: uh, improvements and things he still has to work on.
4: No, it's a it's a different it's a different setup. So Jackson is a, is an important player for us. He's the captain, and then uh, he he's able to. To defend and attack very well, and all depends. Uh, I think that uh, grebus always works hard. Uh, we had a moment where, uh, well, uh, Judson is, is 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 working hard also, but he had this uh, different um, little problems in the knee, and, and and we had Eric coming back from from COVID, and at that moment grebus ge- uh, came in and and had a good game. I think that is different when with Eric we can play with Jackson more as a six, and and then Eric and Jamiro more like a attacking midfield, um attacking me sorry eric as a six and jackson a little bit higher higher and with gregus is more like a two flat midfielders it's a, a different one then you have to move the pieces in, in in a different directions you know to to fill the spaces in the middle in that they, they are very well all depends
3: okay thank you very much alex
0: All right, let's start with a conversation about Jackson Yule and Jan Gregoosh here. Um, Alex Morgan, I really appreciate the question that you we, asked. We kind of don't of- have Alex back yet. He's coming. He'll be here in just a moment, right? So, there he is.
4: Alex. Hey,
0: so, gentlemen. I'm, I'm going to ask you about your question about Jackson Yule and Jan Gregoosh um, because we kind of got to see Yule in a slightly different role today because Gregoosh was in the lineup. Now, um Covello did mention, you know, Jackson is an important player for them, although he uh, is not going to have as much of an opportunity to play maybe in more of what he, he thinks is his natural role. He did mention that he would be, I think he meant to say a number eight, right? He corrected himself afterward. Uh, but playing a little higher up the pitch when you have somebody like Eric Rometty on the field. I'm interested in your thoughts about that. And then I was going to follow up with a question um, that you asked about the counterattack too. So um, first of all, what are you thinking in regards to Jackson, Yule, and Jan Gregoosh and how Covello views these players in the team?
1: I was watching both of those players closely tonight, Phil, because I think the most uncertainty in the roster right now is about the midfield heading into the next season because you have Eric Rometty, who's probably going to be leaving the club. You have Judson, who's probably going to be leaving the club at the end of their contracts. Uh, And then you have uh, Jackson Ewell and and Jan Gregoosh, who are realistically both fighting uh, for their spots in this roster. Uh, Jackson Ewell is a really handy player to have, uh, in major league soccer, but I think he needs to step it up and prove that he's worthy of a starting spot, uh, in, in Lucha Gonzalez's team next season. And then Jan Gregoosh also has a lot to prove because he was basically absent, uh, for the last few months and, and didn't get a ton of opportunities, uh, to show what he can do. And I thought that, uh, tonight, Jackson Ewell, uh, was a little disappointing because, uh, he, he's able to find some of those long balls in behind, uh, when he gets time on the ball and, and can pick his head up. Uh, but in those transition moments, I don't think he plays quickly enough. Uh, and I don't think that he's looking uh, you know, to find uh, Jeremy Obobese or, or to find Jameer Montero in the middle so that they can transition quickly. I just think sometimes it's a little too slow. He's great at distributing the ball, and he's great at passing side to side but I don't know uh, if the Quakes are looking to become a counter-attacking team, if he has that uh, in his skill set. And then Jan Gregus, I I thought, uh, was a little sloppy as well. He did have space, but he didn't take it very well. The, The one player I was actually really impressed with tonight in the midfield uh, was Nico Shakiris. And I actually liked the combination between him and Jackson Ewell. If Jackson Ewell is sitting a little bit deeper, uh, then I think that Nico Shakiris can do more of the legwork and moving the ball forward and playing a little bit more direct in a more attacking role. I liked that setup, and I think that's something that we could see more of next season.
0: Now I find that really interesting. If you look at the statistics here, you can see that, you know, Jackson actually did put in a lot of uh, defensive work tonight, and he did win some balls as well, maybe perhaps playing a different role than what it would be if Nico Chacara started the match. Now, Jamin, you had an opportunity to speak with Joe Lowry. If uh, For those of you who are following us tonight on, on YouTube, if you go to the channel, you can find that interview that Jamin had there, and they, sent, they spent some time talking about Jackson Yule and his role with the team. So, considering that and your conversation there... Uh,
2: oh, the little guy is has uh, <laughs> come in. Yeah, I don't have my wife to provide cover tonight.
0: So. so Jamin, um, your close the door, back. Yes, back.
2: close the door, go tell Evan. Thank you. Jamin, right. can, can he play a uh, uh, number six? I think can he plays a six. Yeah, we need a six. So <laughs> that's okay. So
0: he, he's,
2: he's no longer six though. He's seven. So I guess he's he, now he'd have to play the seven. So anyway, <laughs> Yeah, about the Joe Lowry conversation. Let me just bail you out there. Uh, My bad. Um, So, uh, yeah, no, he had a great conversation, uh, you know, with Joe Lowry. Part of that conversation, if you didn't catch it, absolutely uh, worth your time. It's kind of a, a, I would say, there's a little bit of a Sporting Kansas City preview in there, but it's really, you know, one of those, uh, you know, ones that you can listen to anytime. We talked about Ball. We talked about Jackson. We talked about, you know, Lucy with the, the men's national team. And what we're seeing with Nico Estevez, Josh Wolf, who had previously been with Greg Berhalter and, you know, what they kind of took from Greg and brought into uh, now the teams that they're managing, SC Dallas, who's been third in the West and Austin FC, who's second in the West. So look, you know, Greg Berhalter, uh, you know, uh, assistants are doing quite well. Uh, right now in MLS, and uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what Lucci brings with him. And I think Jackson Ewell is a bit of a problem for Lucci Gonzalez. I I agree with Alex. I, you, you, you have a player who started the season playing as a center back, um, and right now is being asked to play as an attacking eight. I think you got to problem with Jackson Yule in that nobody quite knows what he's supposed to be. The only Jackson Yule that people go like, oh, I like that Jackson Yule was when it worked well for him to be in a double pivot side-by-side with a destroyer like Judson and Judson in 2019 was quite the destroyer. Um, and that worked well for Jackson. And, for, and tonight, by the way, let's, 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 let's be clear. We did see some of that passing, jacks that we've been looking for he did people might might forget but he played a ball over the top that was a dime to jeremy abobasi that abobasi just didn't catch cleanly on his left foot it was a beautiful ball over the top and it came you know on a kind of a long switch um and he hit a couple more of those types of balls where you know he kind of like hits that low driving and when he does it it's great but i have a couple problems with jackson he doesn't provide a lot of pressure. So from a defensive side, I still consider him a bit of a liability. This team is giving up a lot of goals. So if you're going to, again, this comes back to the math equation I've referenced many, many times here. If you're going to uh, give up, if you're going to want to score more and you're going to, you're going to need to concede less in order to be able to move up the table and be able to get into a playoff spot. And if they can't find a way to do that, right? Then you either have to really kind of outscore while still giving up a lot of goals, or you just have to give up fewer goals and give up something on the attacking side. Jackson Yule kind of gives you a problem in that. I don't think he's good for the equation either way. I don't think he adds much to either one. If you take a look at his numbers from both an expected goals and expected assists number, it's minuscule, despite the fact he's been playing as an eight for most of the season. So those are small numbers, by the way, we're going to talk to Jackson Yule here. So, you know, we'll have, we'll, we'll ask him a couple of questions, but for me, like that's a problem that Lucci needs to figure out. It's not clear to me what they should do with Jackson Yule. And as Joe Lowry kind of pointed out in our conversation, he's kind of a bit of a luxury player that you need a bit more out of in that particular position. And so maybe he's great when he's in a double pivot uh alongside a destroyer if you can get that if the quakes can get that dp6 in the offseason maybe you can get the jackson mule you're looking for but you know he has to add to the that that equation in some positive way either on the defensive side or on the attacking side and right now he does neither.
0: okay and one other part of the midfield that we haven't quite talked about is Jamero montero who typically we have a bunch of You know, we're overbound with positive things to say about him, his movement onto the wing, back centrally, playing as the 10, creating balls in the attack. Tonight, we saw him working pretty hard, and yet he wasn't able to create those moments for the team. Alex, I'm going to move back over to you. I'm curious as to what your thoughts are in that part of the midfield, considering we saw something a little bit different behind Jamiro Montero with Jackson Yule and Jan Gregoosh. I mean, what was Montero's role for the team in this match, and why didn't we see as much success from him as we normally see?
1: Look, when the Quakes play deeper, when they're looking to break on the counterattack more, Jameer Montero naturally sees less of the ball, and that's okay. When the Quakes have, you know, 65 70% of possession, and they're just pinging the ball back and forth in the opposition's half, then Jameer Montero is going to get on the ball a lot. He's going to look really good because he's going to have a lot of passes uh, in, in dangerous areas, and he's going to uh, have a lot of dribbles. Uh, but when the Quakes are playing more directly and they're bypassing him more often, Uh, You know, his role is less pivotal. He doesn't get on the ball as much. And just because he doesn't get on the ball as much doesn't mean that he's playing poorly. And I thought that tonight he was good in transition. I thought that he's able to get the ball, hold it up, find a layoff or turn around and uh, look in behind. Well, I'm not concerned at all about Jameer Montero's performance, even though he's seen the ball less. uh, I don't think that's a problem.
0: You know, I find that really interesting that it seems like it's kind of a one or the other with Jamiro Montero in terms of like holding up possession, finding the right pass and counterattacking. Because oftentimes when I think of Jamiro Montero, especially if he's working hard and playing deeper in the midfield, he is often that player who thinks a lot more quickly than the other guys on the team and can find the pass a lot more quickly as well. And he oftentimes finds those balls over the top. Earlier this season, Jeremy Abobasi talked about how it took him a little while to kind of establish that relationship with Jamiro Montero, and he knew that that was probably the best passer on the team, but it was just a matter of finding that connection. So, um, Jamin, I'm going to go ahead and kick it over to you if you have any other thoughts regarding Jamiro Montero here and his role in this match.
2: Yeah, I think uh, Mark, Mark has it right here. Casey actually had a game plan very evidently. If you go back and watch that first half again, you will see what Casey was trying to do to Jamiro. There were times where he was surrounded by three players when he would touch the ball and they did a really, really good job making sure that when he got the ball, he was back to goal. Um, and then they would take away the pass to either side. And so his only option was to pass backward again. Um, and, you know, that's a, you know, it's a really, really smart thing because, you know, you can do that to a player in that part of the field and not really lose anything because if he has no options, You can't be like, well, there's a triple team there. So, you know, if he can just dribble out of the triple team, you know, now, you know, the Quakes will have a numerical advantage. Yeah, but that's not going to happen in that situation. Um, And uh, they did a really, really good job. I thought it was a really smart job from the KC game plan to neutralize Jamiro. And I would have some concern that other teams might see what happened tonight and copy it. So, um, you know, I completely agree with that comment that there was a complete game plan. To take away uh, Jamiro, uh, and uh, if the Quakes were going to do anything, if they were going to hurt Casey in any sort of way, it was to get the ball to the outside and have the lumping crosses or something less dangerous.
0: Yeah, and what do we, since we've pretty much covered most of the sections of the field here, why don't we go ahead and jump up to the uh, the forward position? So we had Benji Kakanovich, Christian Espinoza, and Jeremy Abobasi all in this match, who really shined against LAFC, but uh, had a couple of dull moments here in this match. They had opportunities to score. Jamin, you mentioned at the beginning of the show, there were a couple of very clear opportunities. The one that stands out to me was Christian Espinoza's uh, shot on goal on the Zusi mishap. I mean, that was a clear opportunity to put a goal on the board. Um, Alex, your thoughts on that part of the, of the attack, uh, of the, you know, that part of the pitch for the Quakes, and again, uh, why we didn't see as much there from that as we normally do, especially as we did last week against LAFC.
1: Well, look, the the only thing that I'm really disappointed about tonight, the only stat result that I think matters is Jeremy of goal scoring count, because he is in the running uh, for the golden boot. And I think tonight he had an opportunity to uh, to get closer to the the number one spot. And uh, he didn't take it. I thought uh, that he had the chances, but he wasn't able to put the ball in the back of the net. I'm not particularly concerned. an off night happens to everyone. Um, one thing I did like in the front line was Cade Cowell off the bench. And I said this at the top of the show. I think that Kate uh, Cowell, as a super sub, has a really good role. Because he looks more confident when he's coming off the bench, when the defenders are tired, when there's more space in behind, uh, when it makes more sense for him to be uh, dribbling at pace, putting crosses in. Uh, and I, I think that he looked good. He had that one gorgeous, gorgeous ball in for Jeremy Abobasi. Uh, the the one touch left footed cross that he had was absolutely incredible, uh, and I think that this is a good role for him. Uh, and and you know one of the com- one of the questions in the press conference was about whether you know he should be rewarded with a, a starting spot. I don't think that's the case at all, and I, you know, you think about like the Peter Principle in like corporate management, where people get promoted to their level of incompetence. I don't want Cade Cowell to get promoted to his level of incompetence to be thrust into the starting lineup when that's not a really good role for him. And right now, I think that he has a good role coming off the bench for this team.
0: Interesting point, Jamin. Do you agree with that? There, I mean, we've talked a lot about the the effect that or uh, the impact that. Benji Kakanovich has had on this team and perhaps he didn't quite have that tonight. I mean, he put in a lot of hard work. You're right, Alex. He had that really brilliant ball over the top. Um, Your thoughts on Cade Cal here, Jamin. This is a really contentious topic that's come up throughout the season considering he hasn't quite put up the numbers for the team. Um, Is this the role where we should be seeing him right now or should he be getting more minutes um, or perhaps even in the starting 11 as we move forward? And as you mentioned, having the opportunity to see some more of the young guys play. I, I actually think that uh,
2: seeing more of Benji Kukanovich is the right move. I, I feel that I, I agree with the Cade super sub. Um, I'm not even sure all the time it should be, be for Benji. Um, I think we need to see uh, a little bit more variety in how Cade comes into the game. He can be, he can be another striker. Uh, we really haven't seen that more recently, by the way, so can Benji. So uh, I, you know, sometimes, you know, tonight for instance, might've been a, a night where you know, things aren't going quite well for Jeremy Bobasi. Let's make a change. Maybe move Benji into the middle, move Cade out to the wing. Benji was lively at times, you know, both both he and Cade both had a great pass, you know, in behind tonight. And I felt like, uh, you know, this is this is kind of the right role for them. By the way, Daniel Sperry, uh, formerly of the uh, 2474 uh, show with Joel Soria is uh, joining us fresh after the Sporting Kansas City Press conference. Daniel, hey, how you doing? Um, what did uh, How did Peter uh, kind of feel about the game tonight? Obviously, I think it's the first clean sheet that uh, the team has had with Pulse Camp in goal. I have to imagine he felt pretty good about the defensive effort um, at a minimum, uh, but probably a lot of chances he would have preferred to see uh, uh, finished. Uh, you know, the team had scored, you know, eight games, eight goals in the last two games at home, right? So, yeah. you know, maybe kind of an off night from an attacking perspective. What was his, his view put? I
5: think he was very happy with the attacking play. I think he felt that the chances were there. and He was happy that the chances were getting created. Um, I think he said, you know, he mentioned that he would have liked to have seen them hit the back of the net. Of course, any coach would have when you have 18 shots um, that you take. But uh, overall, I think they were more happy with the defensive effort. Um, you know, I was talking about this with uh, Jake Peterson in the hallway here, is that, you know, didn't San Jose didn't really get much of an opportunity to break down Sporting KC, um, and when sporting KC still had the attack in the second half, you know, Peter talked all week about being wary of how quickly they get forward. And I thought. Uh, sporting did a good job defensively to negate those getting those moments of getting forward despite having so much kind of attacking presence and trying to push numbers into the final third um, to get those shots so everyone was happy of course um, you know John Polskamp talked to after this is his second clean sheet I believe with sporting Um, he picked up his first uh, last year when he filled in for Tim Melia after Tim Melia suplexed uh, Christian Roldan and made a lot of Sounders fans angry uh, if you remember that one so um, Amelia picked up the red card or picked up the retroactive red card suspension for that pulse camp played in goal. Um, the next Wednesday night, Johnny Russell scored two goals and it was a two, nothing shutout over, um, the Carson galaxy there. So, uh, you know, I, that, that's the second uh, might, might be second, uh, clean sheet for pulse camp, but, um, you know, he's been a rock really since he made that mistake against Austin FC. Um, and, uh, after Amelia went hurt and you, you kind of see why sporting is, started to really believe in the prospect that he is. They gave him a contract extension earlier in the year. Melia is out of contract this year. He was called into the last January camp by Greg Berhalter, despite being Melia's backup. I mean, there's promise in this keeper um, that a lot of people are seeing. And I think you're kind of starting to see it play out on the field too. But overall, everyone was very happy with the clean sheet um, and uh, was uh, was impressed with um Kind of the defensive effort that hasn't been there for a majority of the season daniel we we talk our ears off over here talk our mouths
1: off about uh the earthquakes but sometimes it's helpful to have an outsider perspective on this team and you're someone who knows the team uh pretty well uh, but can offer uh sort of a, a, a different look a different set of eyes on this team are you optimistic about the direction uh, uh you know that san jose is taking after watching this game or are pessimistic about their future uh looking forward towards next season under Luigi
5: gonzalez you know if the roster doesn't change i think there's concerns um and i and it's there are good pieces here like uh, cade was incredibly dangerous the moment he, he came on within sporting kind of shut off the 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 ball movement valve out to him to try and get him in behind Zusi. um you know there there's good pieces in Jamiro Montero there's good pieces even in players like I thought Tanner Beeson had a decent night um but you know Oscar Agron was fine when he came in uh and or Oscar Oscar was all right a little shaky at times but um Nico was good when he came in so I think there's there's definitely some good pieces for the future for this team uh for that Quakes team I I just feel like in general um you know Christian Espinoza seemed pretty isolated in terms of ball service to him, and didn't have um, much danger creating him. I felt like Jamiro Montero was kind of lost at points in this game, and being able to influence the, in it, the game in he the, the game in a way that he can. I know he picked up one ball at the top of the 18 and let a shot fly in the second half, but that was the most that I really felt like I I saw for from Montero in this game to really push it forward. And I think when you have you know Sporting Big issue this whole season has been that they've had no attacking presence through the middle of the field. And now all of a sudden they added that. Now guys like Daniel are being a little bit more open. People are less likely to mark him because they have to worry about Eric Tommy and William Magata in the middle. So when you have talent like that, that's all around kind of in your attack it really cr- takes pressure off of those like two mean main creators and you know Benji didn't get much of a chance in on the ball to get in behind and try and find the places that he likes to shoot from uh you know Espinoza kind of got some places the ball in the in the places that he would want to get the ball but there wasn't really many opportunities for him to service people so you know i think more it became easy for sportings defense to kind of key in on who the key dangerous Players were in that situation, and I think um, that, uh, that that allowed um, Sporting KC to
0: make things easy. Hi, right. thank you. <laughs> hey, Daniel. Uh- I want to go back to the point that you, that you were making about uh, the game plan that Sporting Kansas City had and kind of shutting things down. Um, and I want to go to a comment that, that Jamie made earlier about Jamiro Montero's performance in this match. And I think one thing that's really frightening for a lot of Quakes fans is to think that Western Conference teams are perhaps starting to plan around specifically targeting the Quakes' best playmaker, and that is Jamiro Montero. In your eyes and from your view, how do you think Sporting Kansas City was able to do that tonight specifically? Well. You know, I think
5: they kind of employed. Um, they seem to employ Walter, kind of almost, in a way of man marking him, but um, they they really kind of denied him him getting the ball in those spaces. At not, at times, that midfield actually almost felt like a double pivot between uh, Walter and Espinoza on that side. You know, Walter didn't really push over far onto the right-handed side of things. Um, Espinoza, when he was in the game, was very much on that right-handed side. And so I think could uh, because Tommy can be so advanced and so forward, it's kind of a more true number 10 than Sporting KC likes to really run with. Um, what, what it allowed them to do was really just kind of cut off any of the service angles into Montero. Um, and I thought, you know, I, I thought they they did a good job of just denying him the ball in the spaces that make him uh, a, a dangerous player. And I, you know, when you, you cut off service to a team's 10 um, and you cut off, you know, chances in that kind of zone 14 area and where you would want that key playmaker on the ball, it's going to really limit the attack in a way. And so, Thought Sporting got numbers behind him and didn't really let him get on the ball in space um, to really do anything. They constantly had someone on him. and I thought that was that was a, a, an effective game plan to help getting him shut down.
2: So we're hearing that uh, it looks like we might be talking to JT instead of Jackson. you still coming up here. Daniel, uh, when we talked to Alex Cabello, he mentioned that it seemed like the game plan from Sporting Kansas City was to do a lot of overloads on the wings. One of the things that worked very well against LAFC was Tommy Thompson, you know, in particular, and uh, and Paul Marie overlapping, pushing in behind, and and uh, creating some danger and moving that back line. Uh, you mentioned already that uh, that he that uh, you uh, PV felt that they did a good job denying access to Christian Espinoza and Benji Kikanovich, you know, in in behind. So, what do you think that they did that? Uh, prevented the Quakes from really being able to get those overlaps in. Um, it just felt like numerical advantage against the Quakes every single time that they got the ball into areas where they would like to to try to push forward.
5: Yeah, and I think when they got those guys, the, when those guys did get on the ball on in wide spaces, they really only had an option of back, um, and it forced then allowed Sporting KC's midfielders to kind of press. Um, two, one thing I do
3: want to note. All right, thank about- you guys for your patience. We are joined JT by goalkeeper here. JT Marcinkowski, who today – Made a season high seven saves. Um, we'll go ahead and take one question from everyone that's on, starting with Jamin Moore.
2: Unmuted. Hi, JT. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you doing that at the last second here. Um, you know, seven saves. Obviously, you know, a, a good game, you know, from you. But unfortunately, it's in a loss, and you know, a lot of times facing a lot of shots is means that you're under pressure for much of the night. Um, it felt like. There was a pretty good game plan from Sporting Kansas City particularly coming into the second half to really kind of keep the heat, you know, on the back line and and on a hot and humid night. Uh it felt like everyone was getting pretty tired of having to play a lot of defense. What's your assessment in terms of the game plan that Sporting Kansas City had and and how their that attack was constructed in, with some of their new players? Thank you.
6: Yeah, I mean I can't say much for about their own tactics, I think. Muted. They had a clear uh idea of the way they wanted to play and I think they played Uh, pretty well uh, throughout the match. But I also think that uh, we had a spell of moments that created a few chances. And I think we should have, you know, created a few more And defensively. Although I had some saves, it wasn't like they were like that tough or, you know, um, clear-cut opportunities, I would say. I thought in general, I thought our back line played really well. And um, I think we started a bit slow and kind of that trickled into the rest of the first half. And second half, kind of same, Starting a bit slow, then we kind of found ourselves, uh, found our feet and got going and,
1: you know, just couldn't find one.
6: Thank you, JT. Let's go to Alex Morgan.
1: Hi, JT. Thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, I'm curious what you thought uh, about uh, Oscar Agrin's performance tonight. Obviously he got the opportunity to start. Uh, and a couple of things that, you know, we were watching for was his distribution, his, his ball playing out of the back, and also his aerial presence uh, in the air. I'm curious what you thought of, of his performance, his his strengths as a center back, and also maybe some areas in which you think he can continue to grow.
6: Yeah, I mean, I thought Oscar stepped in like a like a vet. Um, we've kind of said it from day one that he just knows how to play center back. Uh, he's really good with the ball at his feet. He's good positioning-wise. Uh, him and Tanner have a good uh, partnership, I would say. Um, I think that's a, a credit to how we train, and uh, the three of them with Nathan, uh, they're kind of uh, – they always have – uh, each other in mind, and they kind of know where each other's going to be. And uh, that stems from training, it stems from kind of the sessions that our coaches plan. And um, in general, I thought he had a really good match. Uh, I think he was obviously a bit tired, but uh, so was everybody in this Kansas City Heat. And um, overall, uh, really proud of him. I think he's going to be a really important player for us uh, here and now, and also in the future.
3: Thank you, JT. One final question from Marco you. So. Hey JT, uh obviously it's not the result you guys wanted tonight, but you know, you guys hung in and there were with them the whole match, and you guys even had some opportunities in there that you guys weren't able to cash on. So how frustrating is it to get those opportunities and not be able to finish and, and get at least one point out of this match, which you guys really deserve at least to get one tonight? Thanks.
6: Yeah, at this point in the season, I think anything uh besides three points is really frustrating. Uh, we obviously know that uh, we only have seven games left now and um I think this is a big opportunity tonight. and But then again, it's it's another one next Sunday against Vancouver. Um, we'll obviously watch some film and kind of recoup and, and recover and figure some things out that, you know, needed to be better in the first half and uh, early in the second half and also kind of highlight the positives that we had throughout the match today. Uh, Sporting is always a tough team to play away, and um, I think they're a much different team now compared to early in the season. New signings and kind of they're finding their rhythm again. So um, overall, proud of the guys and proud – uh, to be a part of this team and uh, continuing to fight until, you know, we can't anymore. All right. Thank you very much, JT, and thank you
0: guys for sticking with us tonight. We'll see you midweek. Yeah, JT Marcinkowski, solid uh, in the press conference, poised as he always is, very professional. Daniel, I wanted to go back over to you before we let you go tonight. Um, you had a, a thought that, you know, that you got cut off. This Sometimes this oh. happens on the show. It's oh, over. it's okay. As you know. So, um, yeah, if you want to go ahead and finish that thought there, Daniel, uh, your thoughts. Yeah, I think, you
5: know, we were going back to the question about the overloads and how that didn't didn't quite work out. You know, I also think part of it, too, was sporting kind of dropped their wingers a little bit deeper um, and were willing to build up and play long balls over the top to Willie Agata to try and kind of reset things. And what happened in there is there was about a, a 10 minute stretch from about the 60th to 70th minute when Cade, it's kind of like right, either right before Cade went, came on or right around there, but um, Daniel Shallowy dropped back and was defending like a madman in his own 18-yard box, and he was picking the ball off of anyone who was in that area, getting it out, clearing it, um, and it was a very committed defensive effort from a very attack-minded winger, um, and I think that those were the kinds of things that when – you know the reason why you can create those overloads is because you get two v one on that in those wide channels. And what happens there is if you drop those wingers into those spaces and kind of deny play play them defensively a little bit out wide. And what it does is it forces San Jose to try and play into the middle. But if you've got two midfielders kind of cutting off your um your number ten and their passing angles from wide into him, then you've kind of negated everything and kept put making those fullbacks or even those wingers play backwards in that moment. So I thought that's you know, dropping numbers a little bit deeper from their wingers. I, I just felt like Johnny Russell and Daniel Shallow, he's kind of defensive standing and where they were at on the field was just a little bit deeper um, and a committed defensive effort from guys like um, Daniel kind of made the difference in those wide channels to keep those overlaps from from happening and from, from them really getting it behind.
2: So it looks like we've uh, temporarily at least uh, uh, lost Phil here. Ah, uh, Daniel. A, a quick thing. Uh, looks like uh, Phil is back. Yep. Let me let me go ahead and ask my question here. So, um, it, both teams. I just took a look at five thirty-eight. Despite the win tonight, which I'm sure feels good to Sporting Kansas City, both teams are a one percent chance to be able to make the playoffs at this point. Clearly, this team though has been better since uh, the signings that Sporting Kansas City made. There's a couple of things I wanted to, to you to to comment on. One is. You know, when you look at the signings that they have made and what has been transpiring, you know, since that happened, and you start to look ahead toward next season and who might be coming back off of injury, give us a sense for how you think that's going to affect the Sporting Kansas City team, number one. You know, mm-hmm. and and really kind of uh, number two is, um, you know, how, how far do you think like the quakes are? you know, in terms of what they need to do in order to be able to get back toward that playoff line, you know, next season as well, given, you know, all the things that you know about the team. One thing that uh, you and I were chatting about, uh, you know, earlier is that, you know, you were able to bring in these players and that you, they knew what players they wanted to get. They did it before the transfer window happened. The visas still took four to five weeks. The Quakes wait until basically deadline day in order to get theirs done. They're still waiting for their players to arrive. Um, but, you know, now Sporting Kansas City has the chance to kind of like get some of these players to, to really kind of work together and gel toward next year. Um, you know, talk yeah. about like, you know, how this has affected uh, Sporting Kansas City and then the lack of it, you know, for the Quakes.
5: I think the biggest thing is what it's going to do is just create a ton of depth for this team. Um, I you have a guy uh, in Willie Agata who. You know, i don't think his it, he showed his greatest finishing form tonight i thought some of the headers were difficult angles for him to get to anyways um a little little too high on him little he can jump out of the gym but man he is uh some of those chances were a little too up there for him eric tommy you saw um very good on the ball very capable decision maker in the final third very goal and forward-minded and so what happened is you didn't really have those guys in those spots, and Vermees is kind of lamented having to play, you know, very defensive-minded midfielders in there at times. They were running with both Felipe Hernandez and Roger Espinosa and Remy Walter in the midfield, um, which is very, very defensive. Um, for a team that wants to be on the ball uh, more than the other team and wants to be the aggressor and the attacking end, um, take the game to the opponent in that way. So what happens is when you finally get those attacking pieces into those spots, and Kyrie Shelton is not the kind of guy who's going to make the runs that Willia Agata does. Willia Agata is just very direct to goal. He is looking to set himself up, and he's looking to make runs for the service to him, where Shelton is really kind of, attempting to drop deep and be playmaker and occasionally get over the back shoulder uh, of a defender. But uh, you know, the, what happens now is when Polito comes back, either Polito comes back and is good, or they have two decent forwards that they can handle. Um, Alan Polito is healthy and plays a whole season healthy um, and is at his best and Willie Agata is coming off the bench, that's a really deep number nine situation. Um, same thing for the number tens, you add Gotti Kinda back to the mix in the midfield. Um, and I you know, people have asked this question of does sporting need to change the formation to get all their best players on the field? And I don't think that that's necessary because if Polito is still the, gonna be the number nine, um, is gonna be given every opportunity next year to win over the number nine spot, then Eric Tommy's defensive minded enough that he can play in either of those spots. And at times in games where Peter in the past, I remember back when they had John Luca Busio, you know, Busio could have been more attack minded. He kind of really starred at the six for a while. But in 2020, he was in in games where they knew they would be the aggressor and be the team that had the ball the most. He played Gotti of and John Luca Busio together in the midfield. With the uh, Ilya Sanchez, the number six behind him, and so I think Peter has that opportunity based on matchup now to to kind of tinker around. If he chooses to get another six, then it adds even more um, intrigue into the process. But you know, I think there there is hope for them. I believe you know, talking to Russ, Johnny Russell afterwards, they they believe they still can do it if they win out you know, which is a tough, tall task. And they say, you know, no one's going to give us a chance. And I think that's, that's a fair mindset to have. It's very, it, I mean, so many teams ahead of them would really need to drop. There's still seven points out of the playoff line, which is Portland. That's not counting the three games in hand that LA Galaxy have over them. Um, so, you know, I think there's just, there there's a lot of what ifs still about whether or not that's even a thing for this year, but it certainly is allowing them to, Really indoctrinate these players into their system uh, for next season, and I think you know this has allowed them to kind of rebuild the roster in a way, and in the sense to to not be dead last this year. They've pushed very hard to get that number ten and that number nine in um, to help uh, balance out this team, and it pushes them now when they get those positions back. They either have a solution, whether or not those guys come back truly healthy. Or if they do come back truly healthy, then you have a team that you're like, okay, there's a lot of different things that you can do with a lot of different players um, and a lot of different game states that you can handle because you have the personnel to do it. And I think the Quakes need, what, what hap- what's gonna happen with Lucci, and this is the hardest part too, is Peter Vermees has a very set way of doing this. He's been doing this for over a decade. This team is what it is. So when you look for a, a winger, you know exactly what type of player he wants. When you look for a number nine, you know exactly what type of player he wants. We don't know this about Lucci Gonzalez yet. And so you're going to have to have, Lucci is going to have to get his guys and type of players that he wants into that roster. He's got to be able to be given that leash too. Um, And I I would say the Quakes are, to me, still feel, because of how this year went, it feels like a loss season. And I'm sure a lot of other folks would kind of feel that way as well. And in the sense of, you know, you were, or it's at least a lame duck season. Not much was going to happen with this roster. So now all this roster change is going to have to happen again instead of doing it last offseason. So it prolongs the project like, you know, another year or so. So I think think the Quakes are still a couple years off from being, um, having a shot to be a true competitor. But at the same time, you look at FC Cincinnati. I mean, how many times were they down there at the Wooden Spoon conversation? They got Pat Noonan in, but they got guys that fit Pat Noonan's system kept the players that they had that weren't part of Pat Newton's or that that were part the fit, and jettison the guys who didn't and by and large that team has turned around um you know they're they may not make the playoffs they're kind of sitting on the fringe but you're looking at that Cincinnati team saying okay maybe in a year or two maybe they get another couple pieces in to compliment Brandon Vasquez um you know that Cincinnati team is kind of Firing an all cylinder So, I'm not saying San Jose was ever as bad as Cincinnati's worst days were. Um, this is a much better team than that ever was. However, it feels like they were where, they're, like, they're one year away from being where Cincinnati are this year in that project. And I think that's that's the hard part. Um,
2: Cincinnati wasn't in the league in 2019, Daniel, or 2018, I mean. And so, like, that's the only <laughs> real comparable we that's right we would have had to see who would have been worse. True. <laughs>
0: Well, Daniel, we really appreciate you joining us tonight and providing your perspective. And it's great to hear from some, even though you cover sporting Kansas City. We know that you still have, you know, your
5: It's uh... is still at heart, baby. Over yeah. here,
0: right? Exactly, exactly. You still follow this team as well. So, thank you for joining us yeah, tonight, um, and we wish you all the best.
5: So, yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having Thanks, me on, Daniel. guys.
0: Take care, guys. Thanks, yes. Daniel. Thanks a lot. Hey, uh, as we move on towards the end of the show, I did want to shout out the website QuakesEpicenter.com. Now, if you go onto the website, you'll notice that our shop is starting to become more expanded. And I don't mean that if you click on it, you're going to get Rickrolled as you were before. You can find uh, a couple of different things. Now, I'm looking at the site. Now, I'm just not pulling it up here on my uh, machine. Now, if you look, the first thing that's available is the Quakes Epicenter sticker package. And the second thing that is available is brand new. This is the Quakes Epicenter scarf that has both Quakes Epicenter and the Aftershock listed on it. It's quite exciting. So you can go onto the website and you can find that information there prepare yourselves because according to Anne those are going to be coming in very soon and we will be able to ship them out to you. Now if you want to see what the scarf looks like you can follow us on social media. If you go over to Twitter and Instagram you can find out more information. There Alex it looks like you have something there in your hand. This is this is an old Quakes episode scarf. One. Uh, this
1: okay.
2: is the old Quakes episode scarf. Like, you don't have one. I
0: don't. look <laughs> Sharp.
2: From when, my... But they are coming. And they are coming, I think, on Monday or Tuesday, according to what we heard from Anais. So yeah, everyone get your wallets ready. Get those credit cards dusted off. Make sure you know your CCV number because <laughs> uh, you are going to have the opportunity to place an order here very soon. We will definitely yeah. be announcing it in the Slack like ASAP, and uh, and then uh, obviously we'll open it up also uh, through the Twitter account.
0: Yeah, and we will, we'll get back around to that in just a moment. So again, go over to Twitter and check it out. Uh, check out our Twitter account at Quicks Epicenter because there are pictures there of the new scarf that have been posted. Okay, guys, let's move to the last section of the show here. Final thoughts after talking to Daniel, after watching the 1-0 loss to Sporting Kansas City. Where do the Quakes have to go from here? Let's talk to Jamin first. What do you think?
2: Well, I want to see I want to see more of the kids. I mean, the the math is so bad at this point that, you know, I know it's important probably to be competitive. Let me get my name up here. Um, it's, it's, it's important to be competitive, but... It's uh, And particularly in the home games, you want to make sure that you give the home fans a show. But I also feel that, you know, this is a really critical time to give the opportunity to certain players. The Senny Buddha getting hurt for probably the rest of the season in a Quakes 2 game is highly unfortunate. He's one of the players that I would have loved to have seen down this stretch. But you've seen some good performances now from Nico Chakiris. Let's see more of it. You've seen good performances more recently from Cade Cowell. Let's see more of Cade but let's not take the time away from Benfica Canovic to do it. Oscar Agron, let's find another place for him to be able to get in and get some time, you know, as well. And Will Richmond, we didn't get to see tonight. You know, he's another player that needs to get some time. So I'm hoping that we're going to start to see more of the young players, you know, going forward now that the season is pretty much done, now that the decision on the head coach has been made, take the pressure off of Alex Cabello to feel like he has to put out a team that is going to get a win all the time, and instead focus on putting out a team that's going to give the youth the opportunity, surround them with players that can protect them a little bit, but give them more time and start to look ahead toward next season. It, it has to be what this is about because, you know, if, if you come back and you don't get those wins, but you don't actually uh, get the youth, uh, you know, uh, movement here at all, You're unfortunately going to set yourself behind and you're going to have to push that into next season. So in what is already, according to what Daniel said, a lost season, it's time to get something out of it. And what you need to get out of it right now is to find out, you know, what you've got in terms of, uh, you know, the young talent and to start to give them uh, the opportunities that are going to pay off, you know, once Luchi Gonzalez uh, gets in here. And I'll get on my
0: solo layout. Thank you for that, Jamin. Uh, Again, that's par for the course for Jamin, wanting to see the young guys get played. Make sure you follow him at jmorequakes on Twitter. Alex Morgan, your thoughts as we end the show tonight? I don't have any particularly
1: strong feelings uh, about this game, uh, Phil, Uh, but uh, I am uh, excited for the last six games of the season, Uh, and here's why. Uh, There are six games left in this season, and four of them are home games. So even though the Quakes are out of the playoffs, Uh, Even though they don't have anything really left to play for in that regard, uh, I think uh, that they're going to have pressure to perform in front of that home crowd. We saw uh, the kind of performance they could put in last weekend against LAFC. We saw what the crowd at PayPal Park can look like. I think that result is going to energize this team uh, to put in their all at home and to try to recreate that performance. And I look forward to that. I think that the Quakes still have a lot to play for uh, for the fans in front of that home crowd, especially the Cali Classico coming up later this month. So that's what makes me excited about the rest of the season is the opportunity to see this team play at home uh, four more times this year.
0: All right, and here's what I'm excited about going into next week. The Quicks are playing a team that are in playoff contention, right? So they are going to have a team out there that is going to be playing aggressively, looking to win. And considering this is at PayPal Park, like you said, Alex – it is quite exciting to see how the Quakes will recover after a pretty difficult loss on the road against one of the worst teams in the league. And so to see how they do there, to see how some of the particular players, some of the individual performers come out and respond to this match against Sporting Kansas City, I'm thinking particularly Jeremy Abobasi and Jamiro Montero, two guys who have been an integral part of the attack throughout the season. Uh, they've been a couple of the best players on the team. And as you mentioned earlier, I think it's really important at this point that Jeremy Abobasi continues to put balls into the back of the net because he is in the running for the, golden, the MLS Golden Boot. So that's kind of how I feel about the team going into the match against the Vancouver Whitecaps. Now, I would like to, again, direct everybody to go check out QuakesEpicenter.com. There's a lot of great content there. We have our articles from our wonderful writers. We have the salary spreadsheet created by Colin Etnire. Our shop is now active. And you can also check out our Patreon. So, Jamin, if you can put up the little uh... yeah,
2: I'll put up the Patreon. I want to throw out a quick little challenge, though. I think there's something that could be fun the rest of the way. And if you know, if anyone from the team is uh, watching this episode, or will watch it later, I got a, I got a little bit of a challenge. The Quakes are currently six points behind the Seattle Sounders, just six points.
0: Hmm.
2: That on decision day. There's three points that will be at stake as well as the Heritage Cup, which uh, Ned is very fond of reminding us that, you know, that we, that we should mention. So I'll, I'll, I'll mention it for our friend, Ned zaparco and in, uh, in the Slack look, you know, you have the Heritage Cup on the line, which is some hardware that the Quakes can win this season. And you also have the ability to potentially finish ahead of the Seattle Sounders in the standings. I think at this point, if I was the team, forget the playoffs. Finish ahead of the Seattle Sounders and get some bragging rights. Mm-hmm. All you need is to be within three points by decision day. I think that would be something to go for. It's a little bit of a can you get ahead of the Sounders challenge. And you know, uh, you know, you got six games to do it. Six games, is that right? Six games left uh, to get it done. Uh, schedule. Let's see. Is it five or six?
0: I think it's a little bit more than that. In September, the Quakes have Vancouver, Cincinnati, Colorado, Dallas, and L.A. So that's yeah, awesome.
2: Seattle but they have 27 games there's seven, actually seven more games
0: yeah so there's seven, seven, seven more. so in
2: seven games you got to make up six points including a three point head- to head so I I think that should be a goal that jamin try to do I,
1: I think one more thing that I've got on my quakes bingo card uh, is okay. that these realistically could be the last you know six seven games uh, that we get to see Shea Salinas play um, ah. that we get to see uh, Tommy Thompson play in a starting role for this club. Uh, you know, Tommy Thompson had an incredible game against LAFC last weekend. Obviously, he did not bring uh, the same uh, you know uh, skill uh, in, in this one. Uh, but I would love to see both of these players uh, succeed in the last six, seven games of the season uh, because I know they're both fan favorites, and even when they've struggled. Uh, for this team. And and even though they might not have a, a role on the team going forward next season, I think it would give a lot of the fans a lot of joy uh, for them to be able to put in some solid performances uh, yeah. in the next month or so.
0: And my take on Tommy Thompson, Alex, especially after watching this match, I don't think he had a bad performance tonight. I think there was a moment early on I, when he got,
2: over, he got overloaded all night long. There, there's no. nothing he could do. He was 3v1. Exactly. That there was a <laughs> one
0: not happening. However, I do think that Tommy, you know, did have his moments defensively. He was able to get back. He was able to help maintain the shape throughout the match. That's one thing that I noticed in this match. Now, granted, Sporting Kansas City is the one of the worst scoring teams in the league. But I what? did. No longer. <laughs> no longer. I did well, no, know these that...
2: new players, they've scored uh, they've scored nine goals in the last three games. They're, it's no longer a, a team that can't score goals. These big yeah, players score. like Tommy have come in and, and yeah. been fantastic, right?
0: So, okay. So maybe I, I shouldn't say granted. Uh, considering the history throughout the season, but there were some moments in which, or like in terms of organization, there were some things happening this year or in this match that I hadn't seen a lot this year from the team. Uh, and, And I'm talking about just like defensive organization without scrambling to find your place in order to prevent the team from creating a chance, which the only time that happened was when Sporting, Uh, Scored, or at least that was one of the few times I noticed it very clearly, where guys were just like running around looking at who to mark. I think that they had a lot of really solid moments this match. And just to push back a little bit, Alex, on what you were saying, I think Tommy uh, should be given a little bit of credit as to why the team was able to do that. Um, Okay, so as we end the show here, I do want to go back to the Patreon, Jamin. So I
2: will put it back up for you. There
0: we go. There we go. So there might only be a 1% chance that the Quakes might make the playoffs, although that's from Nate Silver in five thirty eight. I don't know how much you can trust them considering what happened in <laughs> the last couple of elections uh, and, and what they're projecting for these midterms coming up. But not to get too political here, there is a 100% chance that you will enjoy the Patreon slack if you pay $5 or more a month. Uh, to to join. And so we have the, the Slack open. You can speak to folks like Jamin Moore and Alex Morgan. Asher's on there regularly, Colin's on there. three people great. in there now. There's a there's a lot of great folks who were there that love this team. If you want to have a really great conversation about the quicks throughout the week. Go on there uh and, and contribute to the patreon the patron, become a patreon for five dollars a month. You can have access. I like to just lurk every once in a while. I post a comment, but I really enjoy the conversation and the thoughts and ideas that people have to share on there. Now you can contribute other amounts as well. That's to get to gain access to the Patreon. For two dollars, you can gain access to our articles early before they're you know released to the general public. There are other perks that you can receive as well. If you go to quakesepicenter.com, you can go see what that looks like at the different tier levels. Alex looks like you have something you wanted to say before we close out
1: and if you want uh, first dibs and, and and uh behind the scenes information about a lot of the merchandise that we are working on the patron slack right. is the place to be that's where you get all the behind the scenes updates uh, and all the and it's also where you could send all the angry messages uh to NA about the, the the status updates on those yeah.
0: I don't want to give too much away, but I feel like sometimes there's some stuff that's said on the Slack that we wouldn't say, like like. Publicly. Oh no I'm no 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 no! I'm no, not no. saying like anything. I'm, like, I'm
2: so no. look. I'm not. I'm not going. If someone says, you know, hey, James, I'm going to tell you this, but you yeah. can't tell anyone. I do not go to the Slack oh, and say geez. it. I'm going to be very clear that yeah. the things that the club asks to keep private, I keep private. I'm but sorry. that said, if I'm getting some information somewhere else. <laughs> or or even you, Alex, you've done it too, right? Um, and, and Colin, Colin's done the same thing. So if we're getting some information somewhere else... Yeah, you might get,
0: uh, you Jim, might get... Not really the direction I was headed. I know that we all have journalistic integrity. I'm just saying <laughs> you your personality might be a little different on the Slack as it, as it might be on the Aftershock, for example, because we're a little more buttoned up on here, especially because we're talking yeah, to players. I didn't even wear a button down shirt tonight. This is a this is my this is a first. I, you, you get
2: comments for the for the nice shirt that you wore last week. And I can see that you went with the nice shirt again tonight. Okay, I and I decided to go. I'm wearing a shirt that I could go work out in, basically. Oh, <laughs> this, this, is, this, is a, this is a first. I usually do actually go get buttons my shirt, I know so.
1: sometimes you get pretty heated on the show and you work I'm up very, a sweat, so you got uh, to keep it light. I know. You got to keep it light.
0: I, I Athletic gear. Important,
2: <laughs> important tonight. It is still summertime.
0: All right, well, go, go find us on social media at Quakes Epicenter on Instagram and Twitter, and make sure you like, subscribe, and turn on your notifications for the aftershock. Um, thank you all for joining us tonight. Uh, despite the loss, it was a lot of fun, and we'll see you after the next Quakes match. Have a good night. Good night, everyone. Thank you.